Hello, everyone, and welcome back to SALT Talks. My name is John Darcy. I'm the Managing Director of SALT, which is a global thought leadership forum and networking platform at the intersection of finance, technology, and public policy. SALT Talks are a digital interview series that we launched during this work from home period with leading investors, creators, and thinkers. And what we're trying to do during these SALT Talks is replicate the experience that we provided our global SALT conferences, which we host uh, annually, one in the United States and one abroad. Obviously, this year has been a little bit challenging for the conference industry, so we've been doing these SALT Talks instead, and they've been a lot of fun and a massive success. So thank you uh, for everybody who's been tuning into the talks. But what we're trying to do on these talks and at our conferences is to provide a window into the mind of subject matter experts as well as provide a platform for what we think are big ideas that are shaping the future. And perhaps there's no idea bigger right now that's uh, sweeping into the mainstream than Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. And so we're very excited today on a day when Bitcoin is crossing its previous all-time high to welcome Cameron and Tyler Winklevoss onto Salt Talks. Uh, Cameron and Tyler Winklevoss co-founded Gemini, which is a cryptocurrency exchange and custodian to empower the individual through crypto. Uh, Gemini is a New York trust company that allows customers to buy, sell, and store crypto such as Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, Ether, Zcash, and Litecoin. Uh, they graduated from Harvard University with degrees in economics in 2004 and earned their MBAs from Oxford University in 2010. Together, they represented the United States at the 2008 Olympic Games in Beijing in China, uh, placing sixth in the men's pair event. Uh, Cameron and Tyler have been angel investors and entrepreneurs in emerging technologies since 2003. Most of you probably know the backstory about uh, their involvement in the founding of Facebook, uh, which we maybe will get into a little bit during today's talk as well. Uh, they began investing in Bitcoin in 2012 and launched Gemini in 2015. So they were early on uh, in this Bitcoin wave that we're seeing today. Just a reminder, if you have any questions for Cameron or Tyler during today's SALT talk, you can enter them in the Q&A box at the bottom of your video screen on Zoom. And hosting today's talk is Anthony Scaramucci, the founder and managing partner of Skybridge Capital, a global alternative investment firm. Anthony is also the chairman of SALT. And with that, I will turn it over to Anthony for the interview. Uh, guys, uh, appreciate you greatly being on. Uh, it's fun to get to know the two of you. I could tell you have our uh, combined sense of humor, which is very dangerous, I might add. Um, but my, my first question, I usually ask the question of what do, you, what do we need to know about you guys that's not on the uh, internet? Like, what do we find uh, about you on Wikipedia? What's there something that your mom would tell us about you that she hasn't told anybody? You wanna, you wanna start, Tyler? Sure, um, you might be able to find us on the internet, but I'll start with this anyway. I'm a righty, Cameron's a lefty. Um, so we're mirror image twins. We use different sides of our brains. And I think that's why we've been such a good team for a long time. Um, we grew up playing piano. Cameron now plays electric guitar. Um, I continue to play piano. So that's sort of a difference. But um, for better or worse, a lot of uh, about us and our life is, is actually out there on the internet. It's very public. That's interesting. So, so um... You're identical twins, but you're powered up on different sides of the brain. It's pretty, pretty interesting. I, hadn't, I haven't heard that before about twins, but that's obviously gives you a complementary skill set. So, so if you had to describe, let's say this, this was a job interview, Tyler, not that you guys need real jobs, God forbid. You've, you've had two of the more amazing careers in America. But let's say this was a job interview and you were both coming in at the same time. You said, okay, what are, what are your skill sets? What's Tyler Winklevoss's skill set as opposed to Cameron's? So I probably gravitate to more strategy vision type stuff. So like a little bit more higher altitude and Cameron's sort of gravitates towards like more operational stuff, a little bit lower altitude. But to be frank, we definitely go back and forth and trade places on, you know, where we're flying. So, um, but I would say I'm a little bit more, I guess, left brain because I'm right-handed. Um, I tend to maybe be a little bit more organized, a little bit more sort of OCD, like, you know, shirt tucked in. And Cameron uh, traditionally has been like a little bit more of the goofier twin and and a little less shirt tucked I, in. I, I can tell that just by the way I, the I, bed is made behind you. I know that's a hotel room, but 
Cameron yeah. told me off air that you made the bed yourself without the maid. So I wish, but that. yeah, if I could, I would. Yeah. <laughs> I categorically uh, disagree with all of that. No, I'm, I'm kidding. Um, I think Tyler captured it pretty well. We're both, we're uh, flying at like slightly different altitudes, but relatively pretty close. If Tyler's at 30, I'm at 25 and vice versa. Um, but I think we, because of the differences, we, we do tend to complement each other pretty well. And so we don't find ourselves just like ratifying each other um, and coming to like the same conclusion. You, you, if we do come to the same conclusion, it's maybe from like different angles or different paths. So it makes it pretty interesting and uh, good, good sort of discourse and debate um, and keeps things lively for sure. Well, you've been in two pretty famous books and one reasonably famous movie, Ben Mesrich, who I think you guys know, I've spoken at the SALT conference and uh, a few years ago, he handed me his book, Bitcoin Billionaires, insisted that I, I read it and you guys were kind enough to come to the SALT conference. Uh, and I like Bitcoin Billionaires better than the first book. I think all of us would probably agree on that. Um, what is it about the two of you that you were able to see the future, both in terms of Facebook and where we are right now uh, with the cryptocurrencies? So I think it often comes down to looking at something and then being dissatisfied with the answer or frustrated. And we actually sort of joke, our first startup was in high school. We wanted to try the sport of rowing, but there was no rowing team at our high school. And so we uh, looked around and found a club. Uh, we grew up in Greenwich, Connecticut, but we found a rowing club in Westport, Connecticut, about 45 minutes away. And we just started to learn how to row there. And then we went to the headmaster and uh, asked if we could start the rowing team. And we did. And today, I think there's probably at least 500 or more kids in that area who row every afternoon. Every high school in the area has a rowing team. And we simply asked this question like, hey, why isn't there a rowing team? There wasn't really a good answer for it. And there's a lot of rowers in Greenwich or former rowers. Um, but I think a lot of times people just went to boarding school or, or did whatever and just assumed the status quo, was, that was it. You know? And we sort of didn't accept that answer. And so when fast forward to when we got to Harvard, we were juniors. And basically uh, found ourselves like uh, almost done with, with uh, college and barely scratching the surface in terms of like meeting people and um, all the amazing things that you sort of set out to when you first get to an amazing place like Harvard. And then you find it's almost already done. And, and it, it, um, Harvard is in Cambridge. There's like many schools and all these people, but you never really cross paths. You sort of get stuck in your lane. So we said, is there a way to create like a technical solution where our fingers can do the walking and we can basically solve for time and geography and create a social network. And so that really came out of like an authentic frustration or, or problem local to us or, or true to us that then had scale well beyond. So I'm an old timer, unfortunately. Uh, we've had two or three Bitcoin maximalists on the air with us. And, uh, and I'm starting to believe in Bitcoin, but I have still levels of skepticism that I think old timers have with Bitcoin. I'm not the Ray Dalio level of skepticism, but I'm not a Bitcoin maximalist because I don't understand it. And so mm -hmm. I want you to explain it to me because uh, you've got uh, incredible audience participation. I might add that this could be the highest rated uh, salt talk that we've had. So congratulations to both of you. So you've got, cool. you've got a ton of people on. Uh, some of them know about Bitcoin, some of them don't know, and some of them are not sure. So take it from the top, guys. Why is it such an important asset and why is it the asset or one of the big assets of the future? Sure. Well, we, we think of Bitcoin as gold 2.0. So if you look at the characteristics that make gold valuable, um, the fact that it's scarce, that it's portable, divisible, all of the money characteristics of gold, and then you place Bitcoin against it side by side, Bitcoin either matches or does better. The supply is actually known and it's fixed. You can send it around the world like you can send an email. Um, it's the first uh, form of money that was purposely built for the internet. So it's internet gold. 
So we think that that's a super big idea. And in the backdrop of all the money printing, the stimulus spending, the debt accumulation of governments and fiat regimes around the world, um, inflation's coming. I think everyone agrees with that, very high inflation. And so what is your best protection? If it was the 1970s, like Paul Tudor Jones said, he bought, he bought, he would buy and did buy gold. Um, that was before the invention of the personal computer and the internet. Today we have Bitcoin. It's actually better than gold. The supply of gold is, is actually increasing. Uh, two thirds of the above ground gold has been mined since like the 1950s. So as technology increases, similar to what fracking did for oil and natural gas, the same can actually happen to gold. It's still precious, but it's not fixed. Bitcoin is the only asset in the galaxy that actually has a fixed supply and no technological breakthrough will change that. And it works on the internet, like your email. So when we came across that, we're like, that's a really big deal. And money is the greatest social network of all time. Um, so the idea of a gold 2.0, uh, Bitcoin being gold 2.0 seemed like a, a huge, huge idea. So, so the, the skeptics would say that it's a code on the internet. It's a blockchain. It's a mathematical code. It's not backed by a government. It's not backed by an army. It's not tied to somebody's sovereign nation. Uh, and so, and obviously I know all the travails and potential tragedies of fiat currency. So then why, why is it valuable uh, as a device? Is it the ledger aspect of it? What, what, what creates the value in your mind? Well, that's an interesting point. Um, Bitcoin is not actually forced upon anybody. There's no legal requirement, unlike fiat uh, um, currencies, which I think makes Bitcoin's growth um, over the past decade even more impressive because there's nobody saying, hey, you need to pay your taxes in Bitcoin. You need to use Bitcoin in commerce. People are buying it for the properties that Tyler outlined. Um, in terms of like backing the currency, the Bitcoin mining network is the strongest computer network in the world. Um, and they basically audit and verify transactions and act as sort of the, the referees in the Bitcoin ecosystem. So it's a very powerful uh, computer um, group or army, if you will, um, that's not to be sort of underestimated. But if you look at the ability, it's basically programmable money and everything's going digital and streaming. So the idea that people would want um, a piece of hardware like gold um, today or even in the future seems really antiquated. Everybody's looking to get software and money that moves like email and, and Bitcoin is basically the, the expression of gold in that digital sense. Um, and when you sort of line up all the properties, it's, it's not really a fair fight. Uh, Bitcoin is far superior to gold just across the board. It's the Netflix to gold's blockbuster. Exactly. There you go. No, no, I, I, I like that. I want to keep going on this if you guys don't mind, because uh, I'm hoping that by the end of this conversation, we're going to convert more people to uh, where you guys are. And I think I, I need to confess to you that I'm probably less of a skeptic on Bitcoin than I'm leading on right now, but I just want to play devil's advocate for the purposes of the beginning part of our conversation. So let's talk about regulation and the potential specter of regulation for Bitcoin. Uh, some countries have said, okay, no Bitcoin in our country. Uh, other countries are worried about Bitcoin taking over their ability to let's use the word manipulate their currency or in the case of fiat currencies and the production of money and money supply, uh, Bitcoin coming up against that uh, could disrupt governmental policy in certain countries. Uh, and so are you worried about any of that? Are you worried that uh, somebody could say by decree, we ban Bitcoin in our country? So I think some regimes are definitely going to try and stop Bitcoin, but to stop Bitcoin, you really have to stop the internet. And I don't, I think that's a losing proposition. Um, I think that um, it's really an alternative. Bitcoin's not trying to really disrupt. It's just offering this other system. Bitcoin didn't force the federal government to run deficits over the past decade or run, you know, a debt to GDP ratio of 135%. 
that's the US mismanagement our own doing. At least now we have a, a hard money alternative like Bitcoin. Um, and previously it was of course gold. Bitcoin's different because it has the emergent properties and it could overtake gold, which gives it just a much bigger asymmetric payoff um, over the next decade than gold. Gold wouldn't be a bad investment. It's, it's just not going to be anything close to, to what Bitcoin is. So, you know, a lot of people, like at least the early days, like there's a lot of rhetoric around, uh, you know, uh, disrupt the banksters and all that stuff. And, you know, at Gemini, we're a New York trust company. We're regulated by the New York State Department of Financial Services. Um, and we also have licenses and approvals in all the other states. So we work actively with the government and regulators. We're a financial institution um, and we're engaging. We also partner with banks like JP Morgan. Um, we really want to work with banks. We're not trying to be a bank. We're just a crypto platform. Um, so that that's kind of our viewpoint. But sometimes the rhetoric makes it like us versus them and, and um, this fight that I don't think is there. And, and the the risk of like trying to clamp or quash Bitcoin is too great, as Cameron mentioned. You have to become like North Korea and basically cut yourself off from the Internet. And Bitcoin even can permeate the great firewall of China. So because it's so decentralized, um, it works on the internet. And to shut the internet off, you'd shut so many drivers of the economy, like big tech, that it's just too risky. So regulators decide, at least in the US and a lot of other jurisdictions, it's better to work with it and work with companies who want to get compliant, like Gemini, and do things the right way. So my product development team uh, wanted me to tell you that at Skybridge, we're operating a node. So apparently that makes us very cool. So I just thought I would mention that to you guys. That's I'm not, awesome. I'm not exactly sure what it means, but so- We're part of that army defending the network that, uh, all right. that so Tyler was talking about. You guys about. are contributing to to the Bitcoin ecosystem by running a node. You're uh, so that, that's really cool. All right, so we're, we're out there. We're out there with our node. I wanna keep going on this uh, line of thought for a second. Peter Thiel, there was a book I read uh, 25 years ago called The Sovereign Inter Individuals, written by uh, James Davidson and Walter Riesmog. Uh, Peter Thiel repurposed the book recently. Uh, it's in paperback. You can buy it on Amazon. He wrote in the preface that AI to him is about hegemony and it's about totalitarianism and control, uh, where you can actually you know, see the facial cues of your citizens and then you can socially score them. And Bitcoin is about liberty and libertarianism and decentralization. Uh, do you agree with that? What are your thoughts on that? I agree. So so Bitcoin, the technology is obviously apolitical, but um, we believe that it empowers individuals and gives them greater independence, choice and opportunity. That's a big part of Gemini's mission is helping people get into crypto so they have more opportunity. There's a place in crypto called decentralized finance, which is trying to build permissionless pieces of the financial system, like lending, borrowing, trading. It's really exciting. It's obviously quite new, but um, it's really about decentralizing and creating permissionless and trustless financial services, unlike the current system, which is centralized. And you basically are dealing with a lot of gatekeepers and there's access problems. If you want to invest in, you know, you have to be an accredited investor to invest in a lot of interesting deals. And there's plenty of people who are sophisticated who don't have a million dollars to their name um, that I'm sure would like to invest, but they don't have access to capital markets in that way. Um, whereas crypto doesn't have that access problem. It's, it's very sort of liberating and it's, a, it's very much a movement as much as a technology. Obviously, there's elements of it that, that appeal to libertarians. There's elements I'm sure that appeal to other groups. Um, but in general, this is a movement about the in individual um, and decentralizing what are traditionally centralized stacks um, in the financial sector. So people, as of right now, I mean, some people would say, well, you know, gold you can make into jewelry or there's some manufacturing aspects of gold doesn't seem to be the case for Bitcoin. Uh, I'm not sure if that's a big deal one way or another. You'll, you could address that. But the, the secondary issue, uh, in addition to that, 
that I think people are worried about is uh, it, it's not really accepted yet. It, uh, can you, I mean, maybe you can buy a Tesla with Bitcoin, but I can't pay my utility bill with Bitcoin, at least not here in New York right now. So one is the usability of the currency uh, as another alternative. And maybe you could push back and say, well, dollars can't be used for anything else. And then secondarily, when do you think it becomes more available to be used as a tradable mechanism, which is ideally what currency is about? Yeah, so, I don't. I don't think we. I don't think it necessarily needs to be. If it's gold 2.0 and it's going to disrupt the gold, right? The market cap of above ground gold is nine trillion. Right now, Bitcoin's market cap is somewhere above three hundred billion. So if it just disrupts gold alone, there's a twenty-five to thirty x here from here conservatively appreciation. Um, is gold's not really being used as a currency right now. It basically sits under vaults under the Thames River in mostly ETFs. So I think even if it disrupts gold, it doesn't have to be spent to have a lot of value and to be uh, to appreciate from here from now, because I don't, I don't buy a cup of coffee or go to McDonald's with a bar of gold. You can, but you don't. It's a sort of value. You want to spend things uh, that are more like currencies that lose their value over time. So the dollar has lost a lot of purchasing power since the 70s, like 90% of its purchasing power. You want to spend dollars because they're becoming less valuable. You don't necessarily want to sell your share of Amazon stock because it probably will go up um, or Google. And the same is true with Bitcoin. It's an emergent sort of value. So it's appreciating or holding value. So you want to uh, preserve your wealth in stores of value and you want to spend things like currencies that lose their value. It's very hard to be both uh, ends of the spectrum with money. Um, it's sort of like, you know, LeBron James is an amazing athlete. Nadia, Nadia Kamenichi is an amazing gymnast. Um, they both be pretty terrible at each other's sports. So I think if you pick one part of the problem space and you really excel, I think that's enough. And the Bitcoin gold 2.0 story is definitely um, enough, I think. And, and nothing highlights that better than the Bitcoin pizza, which was the, or I think two, it was two Bitcoin pizzas. Basically, there is the first Bitcoin transaction where somebody traded two Papa John's pizzas for 10,000 Bitcoin. So at today's prices, I think those are $200 million pizzas, if I'm doing my math correctly. Um, they must have been really good slices of pizza. Um, but that really underscores why you don't really want to use Bitcoin as a currency and spend it. You want to hold it or hodl is the, is the parlance that um, Bitcoiners use and people in crypto to say, hey, I'm hodling my, my Bitcoin. Well, first of all, I want to compliment both of you on your decorum and your gentlemanliness. If I was on a salt talk with my brother, I'd be karate chopping him at the Adam's apple and interrupting him every five seconds. But you guys are like in perfect syncopation. I feel like I'm, I'm in the rowing boat with the two of you. You don't even interrupt each other, which is- You're like the coxswain. Yeah, You're exactly. Yeah. I, well, I say that as an Italian who interrupts everybody, but, but all right, so you're winning me over. You're winning me over now. I'm now thinking I need to own some of this. And so now I want you to tell me about Gemini. I want you to tell me about the value proposition at Gemini. And you've got many thousands of people that are listening to you. And so tell us how we do business with Gemini. Uh, who are your clients? Who should be your clients? And let's say that I'm a potential prospect. So pitch me as a prospect. Okay, so the easiest way to get to Gemini is gemini.com. Uh, we have a mobile app as well as a web interface. And we really uh, cater to the entire spectrum of customers. We're trying to make it simple, reliable, and safe to buy Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies, as well as store. So we're a platform where you can buy, sell, as well as store. Um, and that's sort of the essence of it. Um, we've been operational for about five plus years and we're a New York trust company. Most of our staff is located in, in Manhattan or was pre-COVID. Obviously we're a little more remote posture now. Um, we're also open in Europe. Uh, the UK, Singapore, and other parts of Asia. Um, and that's the core of the business is building this sort of regulated on-ramp into 
Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, because I think a lot of people, they sort of learn about Bitcoin and they say, hey, look, I, I get it. I believe in this. Um, I understand what's happening to the dollar. I understand the mismanagement. There's going to be a debt reckoning. I want to protect my value, but I don't know how to do it. Um, there's no Bitcoin ETF yet. Um, and we're trying to create basically a very easy experience, like opening up a bank account online or a brokerage account. It's, it's just that simple. You come, you onboard, and you're ready to go. Um, we also have a lot of um, audits in uh, SOC 2 and SOC 1 um, so that we can have conversations with institutions and get them comfortable with the, the necessary compliance requirements and things like that. Okay, so it's an easy solution for somebody to plug into your website, figure out a way to get long Bitcoin, and they can store it with you guys very safely. Is that fair to say? That's right. We, we, uh, it's as easy as going to you know, your brokerage account, you sign up, you place your trade. We also have an execution desk, so we can, we can execute the trade for you, give you sort of um, uh, that kind of experience. Um, and then we have a cold storage system. So if you say, hey, I want to go long you know, $10 million worth of Bitcoin, and I'm not going to really touch it for a couple of years, I want it in offline storage. So it's not internet connected. Literally, a hacker can't even access it because it's these computers are called HSMs, hardware security modules. They've literally never touched the internet and those store the private keys, which is like your password to your Bitcoin. And so we have a custodial service where you can basically put your Bitcoin into cold storage um, and hold it there very securely. Let's say I want to send my Bitcoins to John Dorsey, like, and this is obviously a ridiculous hypothetical because I just want you to know, John Darcy, I would never send you my Bitcoins. But let's I'm say looking forward. I'm looking forward to Cameron and Tyler uh, expounding on the idea of you being the coxswain in the back of their rowboat. I want them to explain what that person does and what that something. person generally looks like. My weight at my weight after Thanksgiving, we'd be hydroplaning. Uh, these poor guys, despite their their arms, they wouldn't be able to reach with the level of hydroplaning we'd be doing. But let's get back to the conversation, Darcy. Okay, put yourself back on mute for one more second, okay? So is it traceable? I'm sending my Bitcoin out. I want to pay somebody in Bitcoin. Uh, and let's say I want to pay somebody. I don't want people to know about it. Is it something that's traceable? So the Bitcoin blockchain is an open ledger, and it's very much traceable. Um, and we do have to follow the blockchain for compliance requirements and stuff. There was a false narrative for a while around Bitcoin being truly anonymous um, and only used for illicit activity. And I think that scared a lot of people off, but it was really not true at all. Um, and that is potentially one of the um, things about Bitcoin is it's actually very open. It's not a good place if you're trying to squirrel away money or commit bad activity. Um, so it's, it's definitely, I mean, there are privacy coins like Zcash um, that offer commercial privacy and things like that. Um, so Bitcoin is, is a very much an open a ledger um, system. Right. But there's one detail there that let's say you had a Gemini account and you sent it to John, the world would see it leaving Gemini because they know addresses associated with Gemini, but they may not know John's address. So it would just see Bitcoin moving from one address to the other. So that's why we call it pseudonymous. Everyone sees the flow of funds, but people don't know necessarily whose names are associated with which Bitcoin addresses. I will. It's an important thing to bring up to everybody because I, I, I want to dispel that notion that this is just a funky way for charlatans and money launderers to transact uh, around the world. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, I mean, it, yeah. And look, another, another point, Paul, sorry, Paul Tudor Jones, Stan Druckenmiller, like they obviously see something in Bitcoin beyond the illicit activity narrative. And I think it's really important to, <clears throat> to note that the legal classification of Bitcoin, um, there is an order in 2015 called the coin flip order. It's a was an enforcement order that the CFTC filed against uh, a company called CoinFlip, and a judge in uh, the Southern District or Eastern or Southern, one of the two in New York, um, confirmed that order that Bitcoin is legally a commodity under the CEA, Commodities Exchange Act. So that is the federal legal characterization of Bitcoin. And that is that was established five years ago. A lot of people still don't know that. And um, I recently read a, a Twitter 
stream by Ray Dalio, where he listed out a couple of things that he had issues with Bitcoin, one of which that he didn't think it would make a very good currency, which we've addressed um, a few minutes ago. We don't think it actually needs to be, just like gold doesn't need to be a good currency. Um, he also worried about the legal classification. And as I mentioned, uh, Bitcoin has been legal in the US on a federal level, and it's treated as money transmission on the state level for many years now. Uh, we legally operate in all 50 states, um, as well as um, many other major Western places in Europe and, and, and jurisdictions in Asia. But a lot of people, I think, just don't have that don't know that. And so one of the biggest challenges we face is simply education. Um, so when I saw that, I tweeted back at him as like, hey, here's, you know, let me address these, these points here. Because um, people like Ray Dalio, he understands gold. He understands inflation far better than most people on the planet. Um, and if you listen to his talking points, um, he basically stops just short of, of Bitcoin. So hopefully we can get him over the hump if anybody listening, um, you know, let's, let's just tweet at, at Ray and get him excited about Bitcoin. So that, that's going to be my last question. I, I want to turn it over to John because we've got an amazing stack of audience participation questions here. Uh, what do we say to the guys? You, you mentioned a little bit on Ray Dalio, Noriel Rabini. What do, you, what do you say to the people who uh, can't get their arms around this at this moment uh, and by the way, there were probably people like that, guys, related to Facebook or Amazon or, you know, I was there uh, when Apple was on the verge of bankruptcy and Guy Emilio was trying to recruit a, a gentleman by the name of Steve Jobs back to Apple Computer. Um, what do you say to the doubters? What, what's the overarching so, thing that you would say? There's some doubters like Nuriel who we call no-coiners. Um, they don't have any Bitcoin. And I think that's what sort of biases them against it. The same with Peter Schiff, he's obviously long gold and, and they're just very stubborn and not really willing to, to hear the merits. But for everybody else who's willing and open to have that conversation, I think a lot of the talking points really are, are what we've laid out in this conversation, which is that Bitcoin is gold 2.0. If you believe in gold and you like gold, you, you're long gold, you invest in gold, then you, you should have Bitcoin in your portfolio because it is gold um, for, for the internet. And I think um, we have literally been saying these talking points since 2012. We gave a presentation at the Value Investors Congress or conference. Um, was that in 2013 or 2014? All mm -hmm. I know is the price was $132 when we gave the presentation that day. And, um, and so, and there, that room was filled with buy side experts, um, some of the greatest investing minds in, in, um, in the world. And obviously uh, we know what the price today is it hit 20,000. So it's the same thesis, same talking points. We just keep kind of repeating them in different ways. Um, and that really hasn't changed. And I think people just sort of have to I think the aha moment for a lot of people was the pandemic. They saw the stimulus spending, they saw the, the money printing and, and they see the deficit and they're like, this is going down a path and it's now accelerated down a path. How do we, how do we get back out? And, and you know, the election, you know, it, it doesn't matter with respect to money printing because both parties can agree that they're addicted to the money printer and they're both gonna try and print their way out of the next problem. Um, and we basically used and abused all of the tools at our disposal. And I think that has been a big aha moment for, for a lot of people. And, and I haven't, I've yet to hear a convincing criticism that's credible. It's always like ad hominems. It's like, oh, it's tulips, it's rat poison, it's a fraud, it's a Ponzi scheme. But that's not really convincing to me. Um, so if I hear an argument that's convincing, I'll let you know, but we've been well, at this for Cameron, eight years. Cameron, what's the most convincing argument that you've heard and what's your dispelling of it? What's the most convincing? So, so the, 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 the easy criticism to lobby against Bitcoin is that it's volatile and it's volatile because it's an emergent store of value that's literally 10, 11 years old. And when you put it side by side with gold, which is basically 3,000 plus multi-millennia um, track record, 
it obviously doesn't have that track record. And it obviously is going to have volatility because it is a nascent you know, store of value. However, it's gone from literally white paper in 2008 to close to $400 billion in, in market cap in that short period of time. And technology adoption curves are only accelerating. Um, so if you look at the number of smartphones and devices, there's more of those on this planet than people. And so if you don't think that that Bitcoin adoption is going to continue and accelerate, you're probably mistaken. And if you talk to any Gen Zer, they don't want gold. They don't say, oh, it's shiny. It's this cool object that I saw in movies and I grew up with and I'm familiar with. They're not familiar with that. They live online. Don't pick on us old people, okay? Don't pick on us old people. We're so it's harder to change the old habits. You know, it's now. Anthony's nap time. So Anthony, you know, you, you can go uh, have your dinner and I mean, take your nap. The dude's like relentless. You know, you know why it's so relentless? I have buried this guy on about 50 other salt talks. Okay, go ahead, Darcy. I know I you're trying to ask these questions. Now, Darcy, I know you're trying to shine with all your Bitcoin acumen and everything. Go ahead. You got the stage. Um, yeah, I just wish they had called me in, in 2014 when Bitcoin was at $132 and, and uh, evangelized it to me then. But I guess at 20000 it's still in the early stages. So I'll forgive you guys for that. Yeah, our prediction is that Bitcoin conservatively will be worth uh, $500,000 of Bitcoin. So um, at $20,000, it's still it's still super early. And what do you and your time frame on something like that is what over the next decade or? Yeah. Uh, could be sooner next five years. Like Cameron said, the technology adoption curves are just so fast. Like what, what Bitcoin's achieved in 10 years, the next five years, we say that uh, Bitcoin or crypto is like dog years. A day is like a week, an hour is a month, you know, a day is a week, a week's a month, you know, it's, it's, it moves so fast. So both Mike, Michael Saylor and Ralph Paul, who we've interviewed have both said those numbers, they're sort of and that would sort of get you to the market cap of gold, more or less, right? Is that yeah. what you're thinking about? Okay. That's how we back into it, yeah. Go yeah, ahead, and we, I know you guys- So, yeah, are you guys, would you guys consider yourselves, I think I know the answer, but I'd like for you to talk about it a little bit more, Bitcoin maximalists, meaning that you think there's gonna be a winner takes all type of environment in the world of cryptocurrencies, uh, just like you, know, you see gold as the dominant player as a store of value among uh, other precious metals, although silver obviously has a large market cap as well. But do you think Bitcoin is going to be the dominant player? Or do you think there's other uh, currencies, digital assets out there that could potentially usurp Bitcoin or at least live alongside Bitcoin as these dominant store of values? I think for the store of value uh, piece of the puzzle, I think it's Bitcoins to lose. There may be a silver to to uh, Bitcoin's gold, but I don't think that there's generally multiple stores of value. Um, but we're definitely not maximalist in the sense that we only uh, believe and love Bitcoin. We're obviously, we hold a lot of Bitcoin. We want Bitcoin to work. We hope it works. We also hold Ether and, and other cryptocurrencies. And we're very bullish on Ethereum and the DeFi projects that have been built on top of Ethereum and much of what's going on there. So we're long the space. Obviously, there's some projects that don't have a lot of merit, um, but there's definitely a few that have already shown a tremendous amount of uh, promise. Bitcoin being one of them, Ethereum being another. It's sort of like the world's digital computer. It's uh, Ethereum or Ether, the currency. Think of it as, as digital oil that powers this supercomputer uh, where you can run applications and all kinds of cool programming. Um, smart contracts. And then Filecoin's a new uh, uh, coin that just launched and it's a decentralized uh, data storage network. So think of Amazon S3, centralized storage bucket or, or uh, Microsoft Azure. Filecoin's basically unbundling, decentralizing that just like Ethereum is, is a decentralized operating system in the cloud and Bitcoin's obviously decentralized gold or uh, digital gold. Right. You guys have a stable coin called the Gemini coin. And so I want to talk about stable coins for a second for people who are less informed about what's the purpose of the existence of stable coins. How is your coin unique to other stable coins that are out there, including something like the Libra project that Facebook is working on? Yeah, the idea with the stable coin is to bring dollars onto the blockchain. So 
if you open a Gemini account, wire cash in, you can withdraw that cash to the Ethereum blockchain to any address. We wrap it, it's called the Gemini dollar, and it gives you a way to spend dollars on the blockchain. Um, we're regulated by the New York Department of Financial Services, so they we issue it through them. We're licensed to do that, um, but it's a centralized stable coin, um, and that's kind of the the 101. We bank uh, the cat. The dollars are held at State Street in Goldman Sachs. We've gotten security audits, so we built a constellation of trust around this. There are definitely other stable coins like Tether that are apparently not fully backed by dollars or not regulated. So Gemini dollar is basically the institutional grade version of a stable coin that's regulated, that's compliant, that's issued by Gemini. But essentially we wanna bring dollars onto the, the blockchain or give dollars cryptocurrency characteristics. Right now, you know, your dollars work on banking hours. So if you wanna send money to London on a Friday night from New York, um, you got to wait till Monday. If it's a bank holiday, it gets there Tuesday. The fastest way to do that is actually to hop on a, take a bag of cash, hop on a plane at JFK and take the red eye. And that's kind of crazy because we know money is basically information. We know how email works 24, 7, 365, yet your dollars move, you know, don't work like that. And that's trying to get from, you know, New York to London, try and get from like New York to Sri Lanka. How, when's it getting there? What's it cost? What's the friction? Maybe it's a 10% fee. So money really doesn't work. Um, we kind of wish it worked like email and we kind of wish our email worked like our money because we get some more free time back. So, but that's the essence of the Gemini dollar. And you guys have said uh, that you think every major tech company will eventually launch their own crypto-like offering. What purpose would that serve and what exactly would that look like? So I think if you look at airline miles, those are effectively closed loop currency systems in, you know, you have, uh, you know, American miles, you sort of have a currency on their platform. Um, I don't believe you can sort of trade those miles for other miles, but I think that there's ways where you could build in incentives and loyalty. Um, another interesting place is like e-gaming. A lot of the items that you win or own in the virtual world are in um, walled gardens, if you will. And so you can't take that shield or item that you've worked really hard inside one game to another. And we think there'll be interoperability between gaming. And you have um, communities like Fortnite, where there's like 200 million people around the world playing against each other. They're going to want to interact at some point how do you collect funds from all these different people? And what is that sort of digital native currency that um, powers those worlds? And we think cryptocurrency is really technology. The only technology that can kind of um, do that in the, in the current system. So we think there's intersections in a couple of different areas. Tyler, you have anything to add or we'll move on to the next question? Yeah, no, we can move on. All right. Um, so in terms of security, another, you know, going back to devil's advocate uh, type of questions is people talk about the security issue that Mt. Gox was a, a famous case of, you know, millions of dollars of Bitcoins being stolen. How far have we come in five years in terms of institutional grade custody and also institutional grade you know, security around owning Bitcoins on a major exchange like a Gemini or a Coinbase? I think we've come really far and ultimately we actually built Gemini because of our experience at Mt. Gox. Um, to be clear, Mt. Gox is a company problem, right? It's not a Bitcoin problem. There's never been a Bitcoin hack, but the companies that hold your Bitcoin, similar to a bank that holds your dollars, can have issues. Uh, Gemini's never had an issue. Coinbase has never had an issue. Kraken's never had an issue as far as I know. Um, there's a lot of great names and players that have been around for years that have never had any incidents uh, of merit. So um, there are Wild West operations and some people can try their hands there. And, and but I think, you know, no one's surprised when those go under, you know, there's no regulation. There's not best practices of security. They don't do the SOC 1, the SOC 2 audits. Um, they don't do security pen testing all the things that our regulators make sure we do, you know, when we say we do it there, they come into our office for a month, like five or six examiners and they sit there and they kick the tires and they make sure 
we're actually doing what we say we do. We do it anyway, but it's great to have them doing it and you can hear it from them, not just take it from us. But um, so I, I think we've come a long way, but there are the Wild West operations. You just have to be aware of, of who you're dealing with. So are you guys Satoshi? No comment. All right. We have, we have a question from an audience member though about you know, your opinion on whether we'll ever know who created Bitcoin and whether doing so would add any level of confidence to mainstream investors who are looking to invest in the space. I think I, that's, go ahead. Go ahead. All right. Um, well, that, I think that's really the beauty and the strength of Bitcoin. When you first learn that uh, we don't know who the creator is, you're like, oh, that doesn't make any sense. That's kind of crazy. And then you realize it's all about the source code. There's no inside baseball. You just can look at anybody in the world can look at the, the source code or the ledger and understand what Bitcoin is and what it does and how it transacts. And therefore you don't have sort of this founder or person that people are looking towards or this sort of Jesus-like figure. Um, you don't have uh, the Fed chairman or a group of people making decisions behind closed doors and then presenting it to the public. Um, it is not that kind of system. And that is really, I think, the elegance and what attracts so many people to it. It's this open system. Everybody knows the rule set. Um, you know where the goalposts are and you can opt in or you can opt out. Yeah. I asked this question, uh, Tyler, of everybody who comes on to talk about cryptocurrencies, but about the idea of central bank digital currencies. So you guys are not Bitcoin maximus, maximalists. You believe distributed finance is a movement that's here to stay. What do you think the impact of central bank digital currencies is going to be on an asset like Bitcoin? Do you think it's additive or do you think if government starts stepping in and launching their own digital currencies that it might detract from uh, something like Bitcoin, which is fully independent? I think it's additive because it's still fiat currency as far as I understand it. Um, and the money printing that's going on, it's basically turning cash into toilet paper, right? Cash is trash. So whether it's digital or it's paper, it's still the same thing. It's the perfect foil for Bitcoin because Bitcoin's hard money, the supply is fixed. So the more fiat regimes print or whatever, whether or not they make it um, digital or paper or whatever, I, I think is semantics. Maybe it's a little bit more functional toilet paper that works like your email, but ultimately the same day, at the end of the day, it's, it's still toilet paper and Bitcoin's digital gold. The, the right. real question is when a central bank is going to buy Bitcoin. Um, we're already seeing it with corporate treasuries. You guys, I think you had Michael Saylor on. He's obviously brilliant. I think he's made one of the... Uh, brilliant trades of the next decade. Uh, that trade still exists. Um, it's out in the open for others to take. At $20,000 Bitcoin, we saw this three years ago, and we're back here again with so much more maturity in the ecosystem. And now we're seeing treasuries, corporate treasuries, putting money towards Bitcoin to protect value. It soon will be irresponsible not to have some of your treasury in out of dollars and in, or out of fiat into something like Bitcoin. And then the question is, when is the first central bank going to take that leap? And if you look at the gold buying among central banks, I think they've bought more in the last two years than they have since the 60s. They see what's going on. They know what's going on. Don't listen to them. Watch what they do. And they're buying gold because that's all they know how to do. That's what they've been doing since inception, right? That's their muscle memory. But somebody is going to take dip their toe into Bitcoin. Some really smart central banker and group is going to say, well, gee, if we accumulate our position before every other country, well, we're in a really good spot. So they're going to quietly, silently, you know, uh, build their position and then talk their book. And you just want to make sure you're not the person when the music uh, turns off and you don't have a seat on the Bitcoin network. And the way you buy a seat is by buying Bitcoin. So for people out there who are kicking themselves for not buying Bitcoin at $5,000 per coin when it dipped a few years ago after its initial, you know, basically rise into the mainstream, it's not too late. John, no, that's... Ask why it dipped, though, because I think it's important, guys. Why did it dip? Yeah, why is it different now? Why did it, why why it, did it have such a... It lost 80% of its value then. Right. Thanksgiving, so you know, Thanksgiving this year, it lost 10%, but it seems like 
the dip is being bought and is more much more durable. So I think that um, this this time is different. It's a different fact set. In 2017, it was very much a retail phenomena. People got super excited, and a lot of people plowed in. Um, but the institutions really weren't there in a big way yet. Some were, and and partners and founders at hedge funds and things were were quietly getting in. This time around, you have people like Paul Tudor Jones and people like Michael Saylor um, who are buying, and they're not buying millions, they're buying tens and hundreds of millions. And, and this has been happening quietly, at least over the past six months during the pandemic. Uh, we anecdotally have these conversations all day long, uh, conversations that even two years ago wouldn't happen or the person would like to learn about Bitcoin, but wasn't really sincere about putting on that position quite yet. And so you have stronger hands right now. Um, that's a big part of it. You have a much more mature ecosystem, regulations a little bit clearer, and um, the, the macro picture has gotten so much worse. It's horrible. Um, I mean, how, how do you, uh, I think Mnuchin saying that, oh, we think, you know, the, the deficit at whatever, 20, plus 28 trillion is, is manageable. What's manageable about that? How, how, do you, how do you manage that? That the math, the interest payments just will compound and it just won't work. Well, Cameron and Tyler, we could go on for a lot longer, I'm sure, but we'll leave it there for today. And we hope to have you on hopefully in the next few months. You were actually at our SALT conference, as Anthony mentioned, what, five or so years ago. Again, very early uh, in the Bitcoin story. So uh, people had chances to, to jump on. And, and as you... It, as you allude to, it could still be early. Yeah, I think um, just to just to put a further point on it um, in closing, um, when we spoke at Salt, I believe the market cap for Ethereum was a billion dollars, and today I think it's I don't know 50, 50 I mean it's it's fifty x. So um, I don't know. It'd be interesting to see to timestamp this conversation and see where the prices are next time we we talk i'm hoping i'm hoping that we're a good luck charm for you guys i hope that's what that implies you really are. i think absolutely <laughs> i mean we went on squawk earlier today and bitcoin was at 18 18 uh and a half and uh an hour or two later it, it, it hit an all-time high and so let's see what happens in the next hour <laughs> we're, 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 as long as it's going up guys we're taking full credit if it's going down i'm blaming yeah. it on joe kern and i just want to make sure everybody knows that okay, okay. Deal, deal. I did well, learn something from my old boss, by the way. So just so you know about where you, where you put the blame on things. Just kidding. All right, but in all, all seriousness, guys, thanks so much for uh, joining us. We'd love to get you back on. Uh, and I'm looking forward to the opportunity for Skybridge to do business with you guys uh, sometime in the near future. Great. Likewise. Thanks for having us on, guys.